Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. So over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. For this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with Jesus and to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm truly so grateful to have you here. Happy Friday. Welcome to Unedited. I hope you're having a great day. And if not, I hope that it just gets better from here. Today, I am going to talk briefly, I think, about the power of worship. I can be a little long-winded sometimes, so that's why I say I think I'm going to talk about it briefly. But I just wanted to do two things today. Remind us of the power of worship And just speak hope into your life. I don't know what you're facing or what you're dealing with, but all day I have just had the word hope in my spirit and in my mind. And like I said, worship is powerful and we can worship God from any season, from every season. And worship is one of the keys when we are in a difficult season. I think on a very surface level, we all know what worship is, and my goal today is not to necessarily define it, but worship is adoring God for who he is, for his character, for his nature, for those things that define him, his sovereignty, his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy, things like that, and for who he is to us personally. And along with that, worship is a decision. It's not something that, oh, I really feel like God is so good, I'm going to worship. No, it is a declaration of truth that may not always come with emotion. David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And so it is a decision to adore God for who he is, and it can be made in any circumstance. And in addition to that, not only is it a choice, but it's a command of Scripture. Scripture tells us to let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And the inspiration for this episode was born out of a situation from my life earlier this week. Um, We were dealing with a little bit of a challenging family situation that we've dealt with many times over the last number of years. And my husband left. It was the middle of the night. I was awake in bed. And as I laid there, it was almost like God just blocked my ability to worry. Whereas previously, I would have been consumed with worry. God just allowed some lyrics to run over and over in my mind and allowed me to lay there and worship. And these are the lyrics. I've got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. I won't be going under. I'm not held by my own strength. I've put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down. Faithful in every season. So why would he fail now? He won't. He won't. He won't fail. He won't fail. He won't. And while I did not write those lyrics, and I wasn't even singing those lyrics out loud, 
I was declaring those lyrics on the inside of my soul. God brought them to mind and I worshiped laying there in bed facing questions and uncertainty and fears of things that could potentially happen. And that is a gift that God gave me the other night and just reminded me of the power of worship, that it takes my, my, my eyes off of me and my situation and puts them on him. And again, worship is declarative of truth, not feelings or present circumstances. And that song declares a few things that are worship. And some of them are implied in those lyrics, but some of them are very blatantly stated. It tells us that God gives joy and peace that doesn't make sense. We can have peace that passes understanding in the darkest of seasons. God won't let us drown. He won't let us down. God gives us strength. My strength is not my own. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And it is God's strength imparted to human weakness that we find ourselves strong in and through. He's never let me down. I can look back over my life and I can say, he has never, ever, ever let me down. And he's never let anybody down. He's faithful. That Those lyrics tell us he can't fail and they tell us he won't fail. And we can worship God in hard times. God is worthy all of the time. And worship is powerful for a few reasons. Number one, worship is an invitation for God to enter our personal lives, our situations, our trials. The Bible tells us that he inhabits the praises of his people. And so when we worship, God is drawn. And because worship is magnetic for Jesus. Number two, worship is powerful because it takes our focus off of us and puts it onto God. It redirects our outlook to him. It redirects our focus to him and his power, his ability to work in every situation. Number three, worship is a bold declaration of trust. When circumstances aren't perfect or we're not perfect, It's a supreme display of trust to put your hands in the air and worship. And when we declare who God is and how good God is, when the present circumstances of life don't reflect that, trust is expressed. Worship declares God's goodness and he is always, always good. And lastly, people who worship when they quote unquote shouldn't worship, are a shock to hell's nervous system. Hell and the kingdom of darkness don't understand when people worship in spite of trial and in spite of difficult circumstances. The forces of darkness have watched a lot of people over the years and have a lot of insight into human tendencies and human frailties and human weaknesses. And when we choose to worship in dark times, we throw their expectations off kilter. And this is, again, just a simple reminder that worship should reach beyond our prayer time. It should be a part of our lives. We can worship anywhere. We can worship everywhere. If a season is good, if a season is bad, if a season is neutral and not really good or not really horrible, he is always worthy. And I don't know where you are today, 
Maybe you've experienced a loss or you prayed for someone to be healed and God didn't answer that prayer. Or you've prayed for yourself to be healed and you're dealing with chronic pain and ongoing sickness. Maybe it's some other form of weight. Maybe you have a prodigal child that hasn't come home yet. Maybe you're facing some sort of diagnosis. Maybe you're dealing with guilt from past failures or a job loss or relationship challenges. There's a a million things that we can walk through in this life that overwhelm us and weight us and attempt to put heavy burdens on our back and also try to rob us of our worship. But wherever you are, worship is a key in your situation. It's a key to fresh perspective. The key is to get your eyes on him. David wrote in Psalms and said, I will lift up mine eyes under the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. I know the only solution is you, Jesus. I know the only one who can help and who can change and who can work in this situation is you. And that is what worship boldly declares. And so no matter what your eyes see right now, get your worship hands up. Get your dancing shoes on. Our worship exalts and lifts God up and invites him to work in our situation. Today, I'm going to read an unedited journal entry called Worship from the Depths. Today's unedited journal entry, Worship from the Depths. Last night during worship, I was doing my best to worship feeling distracted, feeling like I had nothing to offer, though I had so long to break my box on Jesus, feeling like dust. As I was talking to Jesus and giving my two mites of worship, a mashup of stories started coming into my mind along with the words, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. God still receives worship from deep places, from weary souls, from those whose circumstances haven't unfolded as they'd hoped or planned or assumed. Job came to mind. Before God spoke the words, have you considered my servant Job behind the scenes? Job was a man of wealth and prestige. He was a man of means and was at ease in his own words. His life was marked by what he we would consider blessing. A divinely inspired trial shatters his serenity And in the wake of utter devastation, some of the most extreme loss anyone could ever imagine, we still see that worship is a possibility. We hear the desperate worship of a gutted, heartbroken man rising from the rubble. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed here, according to Brown Drivers Briggs, means adored. Job sits in the depths of grief and worships and adores God. He refuses to curse. He refuses to blame God. This is worship from the depths. David came to mind. Before 2 Samuel, where we read a little phrase, it came to pass in an evening tide, We see David to be a man of flawless, impeccable character, a man of faith and courage, a man who has refused to take the promised throne outside of God's timing and has refused to lift up his hand against even the most cruel of leaders. Before that evening, we see a man of worship and clean hands. 
But in that evening tide, when he should have been at war, David's life was turned upside down. His world was rocked, his untarnished past shattered. His decisions of that evening result in his beautiful married neighbor pregnant with his child. This news sets a chain reaction in place. An attempt to cover up ends in murder, disguised as a war casualty. We all know the story. Almost everyone in human history knows the failure and scandal surrounding the name Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba are married. Nathan calls David out on his sin, his degradation, and pronounces consequences on David's family, future, and legacy. The child yet in utero, it will die. Its little frame didn't ask to be brought into this world, and yet its little frame will face the repercussions of a father's sin. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. And David fasts and pleads with God to change his mind. This little baby could be the silver lining in all the depravity of this egregious failure. He fasts and prays for seven days to no avail. His prayers do not change God's mind. They go unanswered. David's servants expect him to lose his mind. They have seen the unmatched grief of the last week and they assume this loss will push David over the edge. Yet we see that worship can still ascend out of the season of illicit behavior, of unimaginable consequences and unanswered prayers. David's failure and its ripple effect did not change the worthiness of God. When David hears the final answer, the child is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. This is worship from the depths. The woman with the alabaster box came to mind. Each gospel writer includes a story of a woman with an alabaster box worshiping Jesus. I'm pretty convinced there are two different women, and Luke's version is the one that made its way into my thoughts on Sunday. He starts off by saying, And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner. This was not a saint in the Jerusalem temple. Unlike David, she was not a good person who made a bad decision. She was a sinner. Luke makes no attempt to sugarcoat her reputation, her lifestyle, or her identity. Luke just states it like it is. She's a sinner. She's a woman with a past, a woman with reputation. But she is also a woman with a present. She is currently a sinner. At very least, she's not far removed from a sordid past. But when she knew that Jesus was at meat at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. She pours out worship from the depths. She walked past her shame, past her history, past the crowd, and past what they would think of her, and she worshipped. She poured out her best and most beautiful on the one she knew was worthy, the one who was worth it. The religious host thought what religious folks think. Who does she think she is? This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, 
for she is a sinner. Religious people assume that others' pasts and others' reputations disqualify them from present worship. But Jesus hears his thoughts and shares a story that reveals a simple but powerful truth. Those who recognize they've been forgiven most will love most. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Jesus elevates this woman's actions above the hospitality of this righteous host. He shows Simon that he's not looking for people who have it all together, but pe- or people who look the part, but he's looking for people who will pour out all they have and all they are with humble realization that they are not the solution for themselves. He's looking for those who will say, I'm nothing and you're everything. My religion isn't sufficient to satisfy Jesus. The sacrifices of God are still a broken spirit and a contrite heart. He will never despise these. No past, no history, no failures, no reputation that define us as a sinner can stop worship from deep places. Jesus continues on, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. I want to stop here for a quick minute. I personally believe we're all forgiven much. Whether our sin is as appalling and notorious as this woman's, or as subtle and insidious as Simon's, self-reliance, self-satisfaction, complacency and judgmentalism, we all have much to be forgiven of. It is not where our sin falls on the bad scale, but rather our realization of our desperate need for Him. We are all sinners, and recognition of this simple fact fuels worship. We don't have to be quote-unquote bad to see our need for Him. Okay, side note. After her deep worship and after talking about her, Jesus, defying cultural norms and cultural protocol, turns to her and says, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We cannot overestimate the power of worship from the depths. Paul and Silas came to mind. Paul and Silas are traveling for the gospel on a missions trip. While Paul and Silas are at Philippi, Paul casts a demon out of a young girl and is accused of exceedingly troubling the city. The Philippian authorities command them to be beaten, which they are with many stripes. They are then cast into the inner prison and their feet are placed in stocks. Likely, their bodies are racked with pain, but pain and imprisonment could not stop praise. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. In the face of brutal persecution, which had potential to end in death, they belted out praise to the one who is always good. Their trust allowed them to sing from a prison cell, and we see that their worship from the depths became the key for both their release and other salvation. 
And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. The attack from Roman enemies that was seen by them, had seen them as prisoners just hours ago, now found them baptizing the Philippian jailer and his family. Their bold, blatant, fearless worship in the face of hostility and adversity, their worship from the depths, was for the furtherance of the gospel. This is worship from the depths. Those were the four stories that initially came to mind. Job, David, the woman with the alabaster box, Paul, and Silas. Then yesterday, I just so happened to open my Bible to 1 Chronicles 21, which is another David story, but it seems like it should be included in this thought. The chapter opens by saying, Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number the people. David tells Joab and the other rulers to number the people. Joab tries to talk him out of it, but the king's word prevailed. They count, report back to David, and God was displeased with the thing and smote Israel. The abbreviated version of the story is that David sees his error and tells God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away with the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. God sends a prophet with options for discipline, all of which will greatly affect the entire nation he has been called to rule. David makes a statement which I believe is a key statement of his life. I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies, but let me not fall into the hand of men. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. 70,000 people are dead because David made a decision which was against the advice of his top leadership. That's not the reason for the consequence, just salt in the wound. The Lord repents of the evil and tells the angel who is executing judgment to stop. David sees the angel with his sword drawn, and David said to God, Is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on thy people, that they should be plagued. David begs God to punish him and not the people of Israel, but 70,000 lives are already lost, which means countless more lives affected. This is massive casualty, massive consequence. And the angel gives instructions to the prophet to tell David to make an altar to the Lord in the threshing floor of Onan the Jebusite. David approaches the owner and asks if he can buy the land. And Ornan offers to give it to him along with the oxen and wheat for sacrifices and his tools to use for wood for the offerings. He says, I give it all. But David, even at this incredibly low point of his life, says, No, but I will verily buy it from you for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt sacrifices without cost. So David paid 600 pieces of gold for what could have been his for free. And David built an altar there unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord. 
from the depths before God answered him with the catastrophic casualties littering the landscape due to his decision David offers expensive sacrifice, expensive worship. The Lord answered David's obedient sacrifice with fire and instructs the angel to put his sword into its sheath. This is worship from the depths. And in an interesting note, the next chapter opens with David saying, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. This place of worship from depths becomes the appointed place for the temple, the house of God that Solomon, David's son, would later build. Depths come in many forms. Here are exemplified loss, grief, failure, sin, reputation, persecution, adversity, and extreme consequence. And here is exemplified one simple point. Worship is always possible. It is possible from any season, from any circumstance, from any scenario. We can worship even from depths. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Psalm 130 verse 1. No greatness of depth changes his worthiness. No depth diminishes his goodness, weakens his faithfulness. No low alters his trustworthiness, tarnishes his character. Cry to him from deep places, worship from the depths. Again today, just a simple reminder that no matter where you are, if you are in the middle of a great day and the good news is rolling in and everything is perfect, or if you are in the middle of a bad day, God is worthy, worthy, worthy to be praised. Matthew Henry wrote and said, The best men may sometimes be in the depths, in great trouble and affliction, and utterly at a loss what to do, in the depths of distress and almost in the depths of despair, the spirit low and dark, sinking and drooping, cast down and disquieted. But in the greatest depths, it is our privilege that we may cry unto God and be heard. A prayer may reach the heights of heaven, Though not out of the depths of hell, yet out of the depths of the greatest troubles we can be in in this world. Again, wherever you find yourself today, worship God. It'll change your perspective. It'll help you look to him, to his strength. And his strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness. Thank you so much for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or to download a typed or a handwritten transcript of today's entry, you can visit megunedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I still look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is unedited. This is for you. Happy, happy, wonderful Friday.